Hey, Warners, welcome to another episode of the Women Your Mother Warns You About brought to you by Sales Gravy and Sales Gravy University. And I had to bring back Mr. David Newman, not just because he is fascinating and amazing. And I think we're like brother and sister in some ways. And he is amazing at promoting sales gravy. So why wouldn't I bring someone back like that, especially when Jeb Blunt gets excited about it? So if Jeb's happy, we're all happy. Welcome back, David, to the show. Thank you. And welcome to WKJH. Keep Jeb happy. That's the station we're tuned into, my friends. Oh, I love you for so many reasons. And one of those reasons is your improbability to make stuff up in the moment. So this is something I love about you so much. So we talked about a lot the last time you were on the show, but I wanted to tackle a couple things that comes from your book. Everybody needs to get Do It Selling, which, by the way, last time you were on the show, people had there it is. I love it. Love it. Let's promote it. Several people had mentioned on social media, like, thank you for recommending this book. And they like went out and bought the book immediately. I don't even need royalties. I just hope that you sold at least one book from the last show. And maybe on this show, you'll sell some more. So I tackled a couple things in the book. Of course, I really kind of kind of got attracted to the FU part yes. of the book. Yeah. The FU for many reasons. The, and it's funny because I always write FU on my things to do. Right. And it's the follow up in sales. And I see this as one of the biggest problems that salespeople have. It comes up a lot with people I coach. And hello, my name is Gina and I have problems with follow up. I mean, yeah. I have put some strategies in place to get better at it, but I want to tackle a couple things. So I want to start with how to avoid disappearing prospects and the DPS disease. Yeah. So if we could jump into that, and if you could also be a little more kind of break it down, because I think you talk about how to avoid the disappearing prospects. And those are those the ones who are interested or does that also include the ones that are cold and don't know that they're interested in you yet? So usually the way we talk about it in the Do It Selling book, DPS, or as you said, disappearing prospect syndrome, is after you had an initial conversation with someone. So, and how many times have, have, have we heard this from sales pros? I had a great first call. I don't know what happened. They were interested. They were qualified. They were sending all kinds of buying signals. They were filled with questions. They were very responsive. They were very friendly. And then they went dark. And then the voicemails go into the black hole and the emails go unanswered. And they're in a perpetual five year long meeting <laughs> that never ends. Oh, he's in a meeting. Now he's still in the same meeting. I know that was August and now it's January. He's still in the same meeting. He's still <laughs> in the same meeting. We, we can't get him out of the meeting. So what happens when buyers lose interest or when and why do buyers lose interest? Well, one of the things that if you ask buyers, and there have been all kinds of research and surveys, question number one, why will you meet with a salesperson? And the trend in the answers is, number one, to learn something new. Number two, to catch up on some industry trends that we may not be aware of or we may not be taking advantage of. Number three, to pick up on some new technology or some you know, competitive intelligence. What's, what are our competitors doing in the industry? So they're really there to learn. They're really there to learn. Second question, 
when do you disengage or when do you ghost a salesperson? Number one, when they've stopped adding value. Number two, when they've stopped teaching or, or they've, they've stopped providing new information, new insights and new perspectives. So that's a very polite way of saying when salespeople say, hey, just circling back. Hey, just pinging this to the top of your inbox. Hey, are you ready to buy yet? Hey, is my check ready? Hey, I could use that commission right about now. So this kind of, and you know, sometimes people do a blend, right? Salespeople do a blend. First couple of follow-ups, they do the right way. And prospects are busy and you can never mind read into why prospects are not responding. But let's say you send a first smart follow-up, which means add value, add new insights, send along more information, send research, send something relevant to what they said that they wanted or what they said they're interested in. You do that once, no feedback. Okay, no problem, you're a professional. So three, four days later, you do it again. You say, hey, here's another thing that reminded me of our conversation. Here's something else that you might find valuable. Here's something else that relates to problem X that you told me was really important to you. So now we've sent two good follow-ups and now you lost your cookies. And now it's time to play, why the hell aren't they returning my calls? Why the hell are my emails unanswered? Hey, just want to make sure you got my last email. Hey, just circling back from our chat last week. And this is where prospects go, I'm out. I'm done. Thanks for playing. You sent two good follow-ups. I was still with you. I was silent, but I was still with you. And now you're starting to bug me. And now you're starting to annoy me. And now the value has stopped. So my responsiveness has stopped. Can, yeah. Can for the people in the back row that aren't hearing this, because this comes up constantly, all of those horrible follow up messages. And I'm sure you get it. And I get it. And the question is, but David, what am I supposed to say? What am I what's what am I supposed to say? I'm following up. What should I say? So every piece of follow up should have standalone value, that it should be important, it should be relevant. And when I say important to that prospect, it should be relevant, it should be customized, it should be helpful, it should be useful, and it should be generous. So I've never heard of a prospect, and Gina, maybe you have, but I've never heard of a prospect who got so angry at a salesperson that person is too helpful. That person is sending too much relevant information to try and help me solve my problems. This person is too kind and too useful and too spot on with all the information and research and trends and value that they're sending me. I'm going to stop responding because this person is adding too much value to my life. Has said no prospect ever. ever. Now, I have clients, and I'm sure you do too, where they're literally counting, right? It's like, okay, seventh follow-up, eighth follow-up. I had a guy who over the course of about six months, teenth email with no response. And here's another article. Here's a link. Here's a video. Here's a blog post that relates to what you said you wanted. Here's something that you might want to share with the team. Here's another PDF that you might find valuable. Give it a skim. Let me know what you think. 14 of those on number 15, the guy closes a five-figure deal. So if you're willing to stay in the game, most prospects are willing to stay in the game if you keep adding value. That's for the people in the back row that may have <laughs> missed it the first time around. But literally six months, 15 outreaches later, 
yes, we're ready. Five figure deal. Off we go to the races. Isn't that amazing? The the 15th time. But, you know, you're going to have people again push back on you and say, David, 15 times. If they're not in, I got to go after the ones that show the most interest as quick as possible. How do you conquer that? Oh, attitude? I, I totally agree. I totally agree. So think of it like a three lane highway, right? In in the right hand lane is the slow pokes, right? That's like the fruit cart with like the horse in the back <laughs> and the donkeys and who knows what. Middle lane, you got your, your Toyotas, your Lexuses, your BMW. Left lane is the fast lane, the Ferraris, the Lamborghinis, the supercars. You obviously, you want to prioritize your outreach. But most of the time now with CRMs, CRM folks, look it up. I I know you hate them. I know you hate them. I know you don't use them, but they're there to help you. Your customer relationship management software through the magic of automation, if you can get, and this is one of the things that I talk about in the Do It Selling book, have these value items queued up in advance. So depending on the industry that you're in, depending on the kind of problem that you solve, you're going to have Some evergreen PDFs, blog posts, videos, resources, articles, links. Some of them will be yours or from your company. Some of them will just be from sources that your prospects are likely to recognize and respect. So major media outlets, industry and trade publications, specialized blogs, professional associations that serve your same target industry. Why not have those 8, 10, 12 value items already lined up? And then in your CRM, right? Value item number one goes out three days later. Value item number two goes out seven days later. Value item number three. So some of the slow lane follow-up can be automated. And then the medium lane, a little bit more personal attention, a little bit more human intervention. And then the fast lane people, you close those as fast as you can because they're ready to buy. As you describe that, like I had this, I don't know if it's a visual or just I went to a, another analogy. If you think about, you got the fast lanes, think about how people learn, right? You've got people who learn a little bit slower and they need things drawn out and dragged out and it, it takes patience, but there's a reward to it once once it sticks. And then you've got the people who learn really fast that you don't have to spend a lot of time with. And then you got the middle lane. So there's some similarities with that, that you have to have patience with it. But now we're in this society that I want fast results. I want instant gratification as a salesperson. Yes. Yes. So here's the deal. In my experience, my observation of the landscape here as we're recording this in mid-2023, I would say pre-pandemic, uh, people that were ready and they would pull the trigger and they would go and it's, I want it, I get it, I need it, I'm ready, we have the budget, let's go. You could even close five and six figure deals sometimes with a single conversation. <laughs> Crazy times. Uh, now, post-pandemic, tech meltdown, tech layoffs, banking meltdown, banking layoffs, parts of the economy are doing amazingly well. Other parts of the economy, not so good. So layoffs, inflation, recession, all this fear, right? This fear is in the sales atmosphere. Uh, So think of this from the buyer's perspective. 
if that buyer is going through some sort of layoffs or downsizing or cost cutting or hiring freeze, whether that's based on reality or whether that's based on perception that things could get bad, we now have to have more patience. And I think buyers are taking longer to buy because of fear and hesitation and risk aversion and all of these things. So we sometimes talk about your offer, whatever your product and service offer is, that needs to be relevant, that needs to be of the moment. I think your sales process also needs to be relevant and of the moment. And your fast lane people, the fast lane now might be three conversations instead of one. It's like I I used to, when people were ready to go, they were hot to trot, I could close them, make a $50,000 sale, one conversation, they're in, send the invoice, let's go. Now, fast might mean three conversations. Medium might mean five conversations. Long, and maybe your long before was three conversations. Now your long is seven or eight conversations or touch points or approvals or meetings or committees or review or I got to send this to legal and then legal got to send it to purchasing and then purchasing has to send it back to legal. And then there's always all the, the, the red tape. Now there's like triple layers of red tape because people are afraid to make a mistake and think about it from the perception standpoint, right? If their company is going through like 10%, 20% layoffs, they just had terrible market news in the stock market. So their stock price is down. Everyone's kind of staring down their throats going, how are you spending my money? How are you spending our money? And they got to make an economic decision to buy from you in that environment. That's not going to be the same as it was in 2019. Yeah, especially in whether it was 2019 or 2023 or 2010, you're always going to have the management system that says keep costs down. And that's never going to go away. That's always going to exist of like, we need to increase revenue. We need to decrease expenses. You're always going to have that no matter what the economy is. And you talk a little bit about this in the engagement section of your book of pre-work to pre-qualify. And yes. one of the things you say is great prospects by your sales process before your services. And yes. I think that is such a, that people need, again, in the back row to hear that. Can we talk a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. So a lot of times, and again, this is about your sales posture and your sales mindset. We have this crazy idea that prospects are doing us a big, giant favor by meeting with us. And we come in with this sort of inferior position. And sometimes this starts with even the smallest thing, right? Thanks for taking my call. It's like, with well, what? No, thanks for taking my call. Thanks for wasting your time with me. Because this is going to be a tremendous waste of your time. You're doing me a giant favor right now. So let's get started. I mean, seriously, we need to start thinking more like high-end universities and exclusive clubs. So think of this as Harvard, Yale, and Stanford. And there's an admissions process. There's an application process. And you don't just show up at the interview and go, hey, what kind of college is this over here that you got here at Stanford <laughs> University? Well, what, what's going on? You got the, what do you got? You got some majors here? You got some, what's going on? You don't show up like that, right? There's an application process. You fill out the application. You answer the questions. You write an essay about why do you specifically want to go to Stanford? Then you get an invitation. 
You get an invitation to an interview. The interview has some preparation steps. Be prepared to talk about your A and your B and your C and so forth. So let's imagine a brand new world where the sales process is really an application-based, invitation-based process. This does not mean that you're arrogant. This does not mean that you're superior. This means that we're about to have a peer-to-peer conversation between two professionals. When two professionals have a conversation, professional number one does some preparation in advance. Professional number two does some preparation in advance to maximize the efficiency and the efficacy of that conversation. So what engagement is, send the prospect something to do or read or watch before the first meeting. So we usually send, we either send like a little three-page PDF. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be complicated. Sometimes a little 10-question quiz or assessment. And then when we get on the, the Zoom call with them, we'll say, did you get a chance to watch the video? Did you get a chance to watch, to, to read that three-page PDF? Their answer to that question will probably give you 80% of a clue as to whether this is a good prospect or not. So we have clients from all over the world. And I remember we had a client from Germany and I got on the call. And again, our process is we send three short videos. Did you get a chance to watch the three videos? This German guy says, of course, if you say to watch the videos, I'm going to watch the videos. And needless to say, he became a client, which is super exciting. But basically, do you have the professional level of respect that when I say, hey, do a little bit of preparation so that we can maximize the value of the conversation for you? It's not a selfish thing, right? The more you tell me about your business, the more you tell me about your company, the more you tell me about the problem that you're looking to solve, the quicker I can guide that conversation into a helpful direction for you. So I always do this with a sense of firmness, kindness, and humility. Mm -hmm. I say, but looking forward to our call today at 2.30, before we chat, have a look at this three-page PDF. Have a look at these two short videos. Take this quick seven-question assessment. The people, and I'm going to break this down super simple, Gina. The people who do those things are good prospects. The people who don't are not. That was like, that was the aha for me in that section. That's why I wanted to talk about this because I'm actually going to start implementing this. Like that was a really big aha for me of thinking about how do we get some of that engagement? Now, there are going to be salespeople who are like, ah, but David, I'm just happy that they've agreed to the call. Now you're asking me to have them do work. What if they don't do the work? Perfect then they're probably not a good prospect. You just found out that you don't need to waste the next three months of your life chasing this person. Yeah, I think that is so so golden. So for the person who's afraid to ask the prospect to actually put some skin in the game, in essence, right? You're asking the prospect to put skin in the game along with you. I do this well with like, follow up like seconds next steps right and in my next steps i do give people things to do right because they're not ready to buy in this moment for a variety of reasons and i give them a next step including a let's schedule a meeting and before the meeting the next meeting i want you to do xyz yeah 
And then we're going to review that together. So in my mind, it's I'm going to add value to, I may have given them just let's call it a little bit of free. I know we don't like free, but I'm going to give them a strategy and something to work on because I want to see, are they going to put some work into it and then come back to see if we're a good fit moving forward? Because if they didn't put the work in it, they're going to be hard to work with. Oh my God. It's so much of a, it's so much of a fortune cookie about whether this person's going to be a good client. Because here's the deal. Good, bad prospects do not become good customers. There's a fortune cookie. Let's have those printed up immediately. (laughs) That's right. You're listening to WKJH. Keep Jeb happy. Bad prospects do not become good or great customers. I think that should be the title of your next book. That's it. That's it. But I want let me go back half a second because you said, hey, sometimes we're not crazy about free. I love free. I love free, but I I don't like free for no reason. So when free is in the service of adding value to a prospect conversation, that's beautiful. One of the other things I talk about in the Do It Selling book is happy meal marketing. So think about your paying clients and customers. They get a beautiful seven course meal. They get the four kinds of forks and the three wine glasses and the two kinds of spoons and the linen and the whole shebang, the crystal chandelier. But every prospect that follows your process, every prospect, whether they buy from you or not, should get a happy meal. So they get a little bit of value. They get a little bit of a sample of what you do and how you're cooler, better, faster, smarter. Whether they buy or not, the sales process itself should have some value for them. I love that. I I love that. So sticking on the engage piece. And we kind of talked about this, but I do want you, I want people to hear this. Doing sales with prospects versus to prospects. And and this is part of that engagement piece of no more dancing monkeys. Yes. But I want people to understand the difference between the two. So this is where I think a lot of sales burnout comes from. Sales people, ah, screw this. I'm going to go back and flip burgers and put on the green apron and go to Starbucks and the hell with this sales thing. Imagine any relationship in any part of your life where you're doing 100% of the work and the other person is doing 0% of the work. Mm -hmm. So number one, How much fun would that be? How long would you stay in those kinds of relationships? And honestly, how long would you stay in that kind of career? But when we're the dancing monkey shows, like the salesperson is jumping all up and down. Let's do a demo. Let's do a second demo. Let me send you this. Let me send you that. And the prospect is sitting there, leaning back in the chair, half asleep, scrolling through their email, looking around on Facebook. You can tell that they're not making contact on Zoom anymore, eye contact. And they're just, they're off on this other screen. And you're like, what's happening right now? It's like, dude or dudette, they have just tuned you out. They have just tuned you out because your engagement factor is zero. Now, so that's doing it too, right? You're doing it to them. They're watching a two-dimensional performance. You might as well be on Netflix. So compare that to when you are sitting, sitting with someone and we're having a dialogue, right? And they have their agenda and you have your agenda. And perhaps you even sent them some things ahead of time to help them set their agenda. 
and to see where they score on certain dimensions or to share some insights about where they're doing well, where they're not doing well. So think of this like a horoscope. Why are horoscopes so popular? Because it's about everyone's favorite person. Me, me. Like, tell me about what's my love life going to be like today? What's my work? You know, should I should I stay stand up and, and take a stand on something at work today? Should I keep a low profile and just kind of keep my head down? So horoscopes are engaging because they're about you. So imagine if every sales conversation was a horoscope about that particular client and where they're strong and where they're weak and what they should watch out for and what they have nailed down. Should they go left turn next or right turn next? And when you have that engagement and that dialogue and that conversation, number one, you can immediately tell who is in, we talked about the three lanes, right? Fast track, medium, slow. You can already get some signals right away. This person's hot to trot. They're ready to go. This person, medium, but I'm also collecting some information about their concerns and their hesitations. Slow lane, this person is not going to buy. I'm going to add some value. And then like you said, Gina, give them a little bit of homework, follow up a little bit later, put that push pin in the calendar and then see where they are in you know a few weeks or whenever. So this is a collaborative, conversational, two-way exchange of value, opinion, insights, problems, possible solutions, what their next step could be, what their next step should be, whether they do it themselves, whether they do it with you, or whether they do nothing at all. So think of this as a prescription, and you can say, listen, here's the situation as I see it. In my experience, having worked with X number, in my case, it's 1,800 different clients, here's where I see you have some strengths, here's where I see you have some weaknesses, based on what you said, based on what you said you wanted, based on where you'd like to go, I see a couple of paths forward. I see a couple of roadblocks and obstacles. Here's what I recommend. A, you can do this on your own. B, you can do this with someone like me. And I, I love that phrase, someone like me, because like, who else are they going to go to? Or you can just put this back on the shelf and choose to do nothing at all. Then the current situation will just remain the current situation. So what's your thinking on that? Right. Oh, my God, we have to fix this. Oh, my. No, this is totally. Rah, rah, rah. So here's the other thing with the collaboration approach. When you're doing the data dump, when we're back in, you're doing 100 percent of the work. It's the dancing monkey show. You're basically telling people they have a problem and you're telling them that you have the solution. And then you're begging like a little puppy dog for the, the dog biscuit. Like, can I have the cookie? Can I have the cookie? Can I have the cookie? The cookie being the sale. When you do it in a collaborative, conversational way, the prospect is telling you their problem. The prospect is telling you their possible solutions. And the prospect is telling you whether that's an acceptable condition or whether that absolutely has to change. The magic of this, Gina, is that prospects never argue with their own data. When they say it coming out of their mouth, it's on the record and you people don't disagree with themselves a whole lot because at this point, they've come to the conclusion that it would be in their best interest to buy from you. So that's the real power of the collaborative sales talk. 
Well, you know, I love collaboration and collaborative sales talk coming from the improv world. You also come from there and the yes and piece of it, that just that piece alone of the collaboration comes from just restating back what you heard them say. They're not going to argue with that. Like, oh, yes, it's exactly what I said. And that's exactly how we're feeling. And it's it's exactly what's going on. And now they're going to start opening up into that collaboration process with you. And that's where I think the big magic happens. Yes. A couple things. I love the horoscope analogy. You have like the best analogies. That's what I enjoy so much. Yeah. What a great mindset of like the horoscope. Everybody wants to know how their day is going to be. Is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? What should I do today? What direction should I take? And that being able to offer that up and not just walk into it with like, let me ask you a million questions in discovery, which leads us to questions because you actually said something like, what do you think of that, right? Like now you're starting to ask those questions, moving into the close, see what I did there. It's part of my plan today because people, salespeople have, there are a lot that struggle with the close and with actually asking for the business. And I love this part of your book so much because this is a really juicy part of the book of closing. And you've got a lot of really great stuff in there, but let's tackle closing questions. When you have the the waiter analogy in there that you just shared a little while ago, you say time kills deals, money loves speed. What are the questions we should be asking to close the deal? So it's funny, the close is sort of a natural extension of the conversation, which is why discovery is so important. A lot of people say, oh, I'm great at every part of the sales process except the close, which means, guess what? The close isn't your problem. Everything else that you think you're doing great at, you probably suck at. Yeah. So the close is simply based on everything that's come before. What's your decision? So we don't, my firm belief, because we're both, we're all prospects as well as salespeople. We all buy things. We've all had good sales experiences, great sales experiences, and horrible sales experiences. Rarely do we make a decision when the person says, so are, are you ready to buy the car? That is not the moment that you make the decision. You probably decided 20 minutes earlier if you walk into a car dealership. And of course, car sales is always the punching bag of the sales profession because so many, so many bad sales experiences come from buying a car. And they're great. By the way, there's great sales experiences that come from buying cars. Just got to go to a great salesperson. So think about how did you open? How did you ask the questions? How collaborative were you? How many engagement strategies did you use where the person said, hey, here's what I want. Here's what I need. Here's where I think we're strong. Here's where I think we're weak. Here's how we scored on your assessment. Yes, I read your PDF. Yes, I watched your video. I think we got a couple of problems in those areas that you pointed out in the video. And at that point, right, you've done everything else. And now it's simply a time to gain commitment, right? So closing the sale is another phrase. I've gained commitment. What does that mean? That means get the check. So the way that you gain commitment, because everything else you've done correctly is simply so, Gina, does this sound like something that you'd like to do? Yes. Buzz, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, Gina, is this something that you'd like to move ahead with? Yes. 
right? Or no, or not yet, or not, well, no, because, right? And so then you know that you've got a little bit more conversation to have, a little bit more uncovering. So there's a million ways to ask this, right? What would you like to do next is another one, right? How do you think we should proceed from here, right? Would you like to get started next month? And, and so these are very simple, very organic questions. And you mentioned the analogy that I use in the book, which is think of having a beautiful dinner at a restaurant. The waiter comes up to you near the end and says, would you like coffee? Would you like dessert? Very few people get enraged and throw their fork down and say, how dare you? How dare you ask such ludicrous questions about <laughs> coffee and dessert? No one gets upset about would you like coffee? Would you like dessert? because it's a natural extension of everything that has come before. And sometimes you say, yes, I would love the cheesecake and a cappuccino. Sometimes it's, I'll just have the cherry pie. Sometimes it's, I'll just have a black coffee. And sometimes it's, no thanks, I'm ready for the check. The waiter's unattached, right? The waiter doesn't care. I mean, obviously they would like to sell you dessert because yeah. then your tip is a little bit bigger, but they, they don't take it personally. They say, okay, we followed the process and it was a no thanks. Or we followed the process and it was cherry pie. We followed the process and it was coffee and cheesecake. Wonderful. But you don't get to the close unless you follow the process. People always think the problem is in the close. My friends, the problem is in the process. Well, again, back to the analogies, right? It's a natural, it's a natural question to ask, would you like dessert? I'd like to add a little bit to that of the detail in that ask, in that question, right? To me, it's like, let me tell you, the cherry pie that we have is made here fresh. And the owner's mother, it's her recipe from decades ago. And the crumbles on it are so, oh my gosh. I'm not sure if you guys are interested in dessert, but if you were, that's what I would have. Yes. Didn't that, that just didn't that just change at all? I mean, it I did. bought dessert based on that. I'm like, well, where else am I going to have cherry pie like that? Nowhere else. And so that is about presenting options with a specific recommendation. Right. So imagine that we get to the end of a sales conversation and you say, well, I have good news. You, you The good news is you don't have a five hundred thousand dollar problem. The bad news is that you also don't have a $5,000 problem. So based on what you said, my recommendation is, and then we go into our version of cherry pie made fresh. The crumbles should be bottled because they're like crack. They're so good. You could just eat the crumbles on their own and forget the pie. So always have options and then have a specific recommendation that you make especially mouthwatering and tell them why it's a great fit for what they said they wanted, what they said they they needed, what they said their biggest priorities are, what they said their biggest urgencies are. And then you have a, a totally firm basis to make that recommendation because it's all based on what they said they want and what they said they need. Yeah, I love that. Okay. Let's talk about negotiate versus caving. Negotiating yes. versus caving. Again, a lot of great stuff there. So almost every salesperson, when they hear the word negotiate, they think it's negotiate down. Yeah. One of the things I talk about in the Do It Selling book is this is a great time to negotiate up. And you can even do it when you're being asked for a price concession. 
So one of the one of the funny things that you can do, and Gina, this because this is one of your native geniuses that you share with your clients, is that in a sales conversation, you cannot underestimate the effectiveness of humor. So if you can bring a little humor and humanity and make them smile and make them think or even make them laugh at some point, you are so far ahead in the sales process. So someone looks at what you have and they say, is that the best you can do? Is that the best you can do on the price? And you say, well, no, of course not. How much more would you like to pay? Best. So it's like, we, I I just gave you silver, man. If you want gold, if you want platinum, I can 2X or 3X the proposal. No problem. Is that the best I can do? Far from it. But it's, I think it's what fits best for you. But if you want to spend more, just let me know and I'll go write it up. I'll go write it up. So now they're laughing, right? It's like, okay, I get it, right? You were asking me to drop my shorts for no reason. Obviously, I'm not willing to do that. Could you buy more? Could we increase the value? Of course, we could increase the value. So this is about firmness of resolve, right? Negotiating is completely legitimate and many times completely necessary. But you do not lower the fee without lowering the commensurate value. So if they pay less, they get less. If they pay more, they get more. Now, again, this is all about the effectiveness of your sales process and your sales discovery. Specifically, I've had clients get to the end of a sales conversation and say, listen, there's three options. Think of this like Goldilocks, right? There's the big papa porridge. There's the mama bear porridge and there's the baby bear porridge. Clients have reported that their prospects that they present this to have said, We like the big package, but actually, I think we'll need to change it because we need more. We need more. We need bigger. We need longer. We need faster. We need to get more people in on this. We need to do this in more divisions or more business units or more regions. This is going to be great. And they tell you that your biggest option is not big enough. Because you've done the process so well and so smartly and you've listened and you've integrated what they've talked to you about in a human to human, deep listening conversation. So that when you say, hey, it's option A, B and C, they're like, David, this is great. I think we need option D. Can we do more, bigger, better, faster, deeper, longer, whatever it is? Can we get more salespeople in on this? Can we go for a year instead of just six months? Because you got them excited about the transformation. You did not get them excited about the nuts and bolts of what you do or what you sell. You got them excited about what that does and what that means. And when you get a prospect excited about what your product or service does for them and what your product or service means to them, and they're now seeing that their entire future is on a completely different trajectory because of buying from you. They're like, no, we want bigger. We want more. David, this literally just happened to me a few days ago. This exact scenario that I presented to someone. And just like you said, I was really tuned in on what this specific stakeholder needed because she was overwhelmed with what's going on and needs this help. And so... What I propose, A, B, and C, 
she's like, can I have that a package? But I actually need it. Um, I need it bigger because I need the transformation faster. Can we actually double up the process of this project and get it done in less time? And pay you more now, but like, yes. let's pay, let's spend more money now because she was so excited because I was able to draw her in with, all right, we need to get all of this off your plate. And she, and her face lit up. Yeah. She's like, yes, please get this off my plate. Right. I and so when that. I presented the price, she's like, this is way cheaper than hiring a VP right now. If you could take this off my plate right now. Right. Yeah. That that was magical because it actually took me off guard a little bit. So you just validated that I did the process, right? Yes, indeed. I love that story so much. And it happens more often than you think. So folks, well, you know, folks yeah. listening are like, oh, that only happens to like magical unicorn salespeople. It's never going to happen to me. Well, as you, um, yeah, as you told the story, actually a, a few clicked and I was like, oh, you know what? That happened with that one and that one too. Yeah. Like that actually happened. And that's where you feel like, Wow, this was easy. Yes. Was it easy or did I do the process better? Right. Because I don't always do the process as well as I could for a variety of reasons. I'm overworked. I'm overbooked. I got too many appointments. I didn't have enough time to engage properly. Right. But if I actually spend a little more time, invest a little more time, I'm going to be better at the process. Would you agree? Totally agree. Uh, let's talk about yogurt proposals. What's a yogurt proposal? So yogurt has an expiration date and every proposal also needs to have an expiration date. So if you're in the business where you're sending proposals, it's not just, yeah, here's what it is. Call me anytime. It's like you need to put a date, say pricing is valid through. And my recommendation is somewhere between seven and 14 days, seven and 14 days out from when you present it. That expires. You put those dates might be taken. Your inventory, your production time might be longer, right? So whatever product, whatever service, there are time bound factors that if you tell me yes right now, here's how it's going to roll out. If you come back in three months or six months, and by the way, you'll never come back in three months or six months. But if you think you'll come back in three months or six months, it might take twice as long. The materials cost might go up. I mean, this is all very real now. Post-pandemic, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Depending on what you're buying, it's like, oh, what used to take one month now takes five months. What what used to cost $2 per foot now costs $5 per foot. So the time value of money needs to be expressed by a hard deadline in every proposal that you ever send. Because then it's got a native sense of urgency. It's got a big yep. sense of urgency. Let's say you send the proposal and it says, hey, this expires seven days from today. So if you send it on the 14th, it would say expires on the 21st. Imagine on the 19th, you haven't heard anything and you're like, hey, Gina, David Newman calling from Do It Marketing. I know we had a fantastic conversation. Just a quick reminder that in two days on the 21st, the proposal that I sent you the pricing and the terms totally expire. If you want to renegotiate at some point, I'm totally happy to do that. But what I sent over to you, as we discussed, because you said you want X, because you said Y is important to you, because Z is such a priority, 
would you like to get started before the deadline? And that's another, would you like coffee? Would you like yeah. dessert? Would yeah. you like to get started before the deadline? Or do you want the deadline to pass and you're screwed? I love that. I love that. I've done it in the past, but when we put it in this kind of yogurt proposal perspective of we're triggering a couple of things, fear of missing out, scarcity effect, right? This is, I don't want to lose out on this. Oh. And it creates the urgency and moves it closer to the top of your list of things to do as the buyer. To your point, we're not hearing back from buyers all the time because their priorities, like, are not our priorities. Like they're right. pri- they they it is not a priority for them to buy from us because they have other things to do. Right. But we're in the mindset of like this should be their priority. Yes. I I love that. There's so much more in this closing section, but I'm going to leave it right there because people need to buy the book. People need to buy the book. The one person, the one person listening <laughs> who's going to buy the book. You need to buy the book, my friend, whoever you are out there in podcast land. Exactly. So so thank you so much for coming back. I just, may I just keep bringing you back. We'll keep doing these little little leaks out and people like can, a regular co-host. It'll be fun. That You know what? It, that would be very fun. And Jeff Bajoric is a regular co-host. And I know go. he's been on your show. So yes, good guy there. But for people who got to have this book for that one person, where should they go find the book? They should go right now to doitselling.com, download. I mean, you could buy, buy the book there, but then the reason you're going to doitselling.com, all the companion tools, the downloads, the training videos, the resources, the Ooh. templates, the scripts, all Juicy. of that stuff. I know. All that stuff is at doitselling.com. Another little bonus, because again, happy meal marketing. I got to walk the talk here. If they want a free 37-page PDF, part marketing, part sales, part revenue growth, go to doitmarketing.com slash manifesto. And that manifesto will put you in good stead whether you buy the book or not. Fantastic. There you are giving the value up front. That's it. That's how we do it, my friend. Awesome. Thank you again for being here, David Newman. We will put all this contact information and how to get all the things in our show notes. So thank you again for being here. Thank you, Gina. Great to be here. All right, listeners, it is time to wrap up this episode of The Women Your Mother Warns You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy and salesgravy.university. And right after you download all of those yummy Happy Meal items from doitmarketing.com slash manifesto or doitselling.com, Go to salesgravy.university and get yourself an all-access pass to almost 300 courses. So there is a lot of yummy, happy meals there as well. And watch us watch this episode on YouTube if you haven't, and we'll see you on the next show. 